Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young businessmen, welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 56. Today is an exciting day because I came to the realization that the topic that we're going to talk about today is a topic that I've been indirectly talking about, and I've been talking about little uh, facets of it because I believe these are all things that as leaders uh, in our families and and leaders in business and just... uh, leaders individually. Um, There's a lot of different traits that we have in leadership. So you have your tangible ones, but you have your intangible ones as well. And we're going to talk specifically about emotional intelligence. So if you've been listening, you've probably heard some of the different things that we've talked about that are going to kind of clue into this. But now we get to jump into the actual topic of emotional intelligence. So I'm really excited. I've been doing a little bit of research on this. By no means am I an expert, so what I wanted to do is I wanted to bring in somebody who uh, can talk intelligently about this topic, and uh, we actually had a previous guest recommend that he come and talk to us. Adonis Lindsay uh, spoke uh, about four or five podcasts ago, maybe more than that now. Uh, They're all kind of blurring together, but he actually recommend we talk to John Tallheimer, and John is a leadership coach. He guides small business owners, entrepreneurs, Uh, corporate executives, and first-time managers to achieve consistent, better performance through coaching. He is the founder uh, and executive director of True Star Leadership, which mission is to create leaders for organizations and their employees. He has a master's of science in organizational leadership. Additionally, John is dual certified in leadership coaching from Marshall Goldsmith's Stakeholder-Centered Coaching and the Institute for Social and Emotional Intelligence. He has over 25 years of experience leading organizations in a variety of industries, including manufacturing, hospitality, retail, television, and performing arts. Uh, He's currently working on a book called The Manager's Field Guide to Coaching. So John, first and foremost, Welcome to the podcast. Say hello to the audience. And if you don't mind, fill in some of the gaps. I know that intro is pretty all-encompassing, but uh, let the let the audience know who you are. Thanks, Evan. Thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's a great intro. And it's funny because when people, you know, I give my bio out and everything, people talk like that. And really what everyone wants to know is, will you make me successful? And I think <laughs> that's the big key, right? Will I make them successful? <clears throat> and I always say that, I can't make anybody successful unless they want to be successful. And I think that's the first thing we need to know is we need to have that willingness to be coached and bring to another level. And if if we get there and we know that that's important, then we then start moving forward and become successful. We've had several coaches on, and so we definitely recognize that there's an importance 
to that when you're in, in that leadership role or you're, you're growing as a leader uh, to do it on your own. I'm sure there are some self-taught leaders, but ultimately to get to that next level, hopefully we're preaching to the choir here because you're listening to this podcast and you're listening to other content that's helping you to develop as an individual. And it's, it's just nice to have these outside perspectives of, of people who kind of see things differently than you do, or maybe it will present it in such a way that it's a little bit easier uh, for you to relate to. We were talking a little bit before the podcast about just how connected we are uh, as as a society, as individuals, but there's a big chasm in terms of personal connections. One of the things I love about this podcast is it gives me the opportunity to talk to people that first and foremost, I probably wouldn't normally have an opportunity to talk to, but I have the opportunity to have a conversation much deeper than I normally would in general conversations. Do you have those pleasantries that you'll have? The, you know, how are you doing? How's your day? But we almost feel more connected to people technology-wise through Facebook and social media and those kinds of things. But ultimately, I think what happens is, and uh, John, I think you can speak to this a little bit more uh, eloquently. I think what happens is when we rely so heavily on technology that we lose that ability to have good personal interaction and therefore our overall relationships suffer. And I think that's where our emotional intelligence comes into play. Yeah, I think Evan, when you look at it, right, emotional intelligence is that um, that part of us that we create awareness of who we are, right? There's mm -hmm. really two parts of emotional intelligence. It's the self-awareness of our emotions and how they relate and how we manage them to get better relationships and then how other people manage their emotions and understanding what those emotions are and making sure we tap into that. And when we're having conversations through technology, right, through text, through Facebook, some of those emotions aren't evident. You know, uh -huh. when somebody says something on Facebook and all of a sudden we're like, oh no, we're going to jump on it and probably interpret it the wrong way. We're not seeing their emotions behind it. We're not seeing if they're being sarcastic. We're not seeing if they're being trying to be funny. We're just seeing it one way. I know a lot of times when I'm on Facebook, I'll see somebody put something in the comments and I'll see somebody respond and the first person responds and go, no, that's not what I meant at all. I was just trying to be funny. And we lose some of that when we're trying to have those talks through technology. Yeah, I love how you differentiated self uh, awareness and the awareness of others and, and how emotions come into play. One, one of the things that I'm learning over time is that the importance of emotions, because uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak from a personal standpoint. I'm sure my audience completely is different than me, but um, from a personal standpoint, I'm not a very emotional person or I don't show emotions. I, I think it's for, for whatever reason in my mind as a male, um, I'm, I'm not I should never show weakness. I should never show uh, vulnerability uh, because I always want to come off as together. I always want to come off as professional. And so for a long time, I would shut down the emotional side of what I do. It, and it, it, for me right now, it's almost against my nature to do that. But I think what I'm learning is, is that by showing that vulnerability, that's where trust is built. That's where empathy is created. Uh, that's where relationships happen. So can you talk a little bit about the importance of exercising emotional intelligence and really how uh, emotions play in to leadership? Yeah, absolutely. I, it's funny if you talk about emotions being a weakness. And there was just an article in uh, National Geographic. I literally have it on my desk <laughs> by the uh, Surgeon General who is talking about emotions and how we need to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves and we take care of our emotions and we do that. And he says, and I'm trying to find the thing, um, 
We need to change how we think about emotions. Emotions are a source of power. That's what science tells us. So when we start thinking about emotions and emotional intelligence, it really comes down to me is what I call the behavioral algorithm. We look at emotions. Um, there's something triggers our emotions. So whatever that can be, it can be a lot of different things. So something will trigger our emotion, we'll have an emotion, and then we'll have some behavior based on that emotion, which is going to lead to some kind of consequences. So that's kind of a behavioral algorithm I see. Mm -hmm. What happens is, is not a lot of people are aware of those emotions. And so as a leader, let me give you an example from my life. When I used to have meetings and I used to have staff meetings, I hated when people were late. It frustrated me, made me annoyed, made me very angry. So I would sit in the meeting and if somebody came in late, I would just belittle them. I'd be like, hey, you're late, or I would say something, or I would ignore them. I would do something that wasn't conducive to the long-term health of that meeting. And so I stopped doing that. And I started looking at, well, what can I do differently? And so when people were late to my meeting, I started trying to put myself in their shoes. Maybe they had a problem at home. Maybe one of their children was sick. Maybe they ran into a lot of traffic. And so as I was trying thinking through that, and somebody was late to my meeting, I acted differently. And so I was just like, oh, you okay? Is everything all right? And I would just kind of do that and I would allow them to do that. And then what would happen would be at the end of the meeting, I would sit down with them and I'm like, oh my goodness, you were late to the meeting. What happened? Couple things. One, I was able to connect with them on a much deeper level, right? And so I was having a conversation about something that was probably very important to them. And now, of course, there were people that were late just because either they disrespected my meeting or they were lazy. But at the same time, when I was talking to them, they realized how important them being on time was to me. And it reinforced that without me having to say it. And so understanding our emotions and being aware of our emotions allows us to be able to have better consequences and therefore better business results because we're aware of our emotions. I love that example. That example is a real practical application of two things. First and foremost, emotional intelligence. But we also had uh, John G. Miller on the podcast not too long ago, and he wrote the book Question Behind the Question. And you did that. You asked yourself the question behind, not why are they late? What can I, the, the question behind it was, what can you do to encourage them to be on time? And by doing that, the behavioral result that I believe that happened that changed by the way that you approached doing it ended up essentially being the, the result that you were looking for, which was them putting a higher value on uh, their respect of you and your meeting to show up on time. So I love that example. That's absolutely, absolutely. fantastic. Um, yeah. One of the things that you kind of breeze through real quickly, and I want to I want to kind of hone back in on it, um, is you said the word triggers, and you said first of all, being yeah. having an EQ, you you stay uh, that you're you're self aware, right? You you are aware of the things that trigger you, and then. It's also knowing the the words and whatever else that other people say that that trigger those emotions. So let's talk a little bit about triggers because I think that's a very important part of EQ. What what is a trigger and how does that play into emotional intelligence? So let me before I go into the definition, let me give you an example that I like to use. So if my wife and I decide that we're going to go antiquing. Right, and so we're antiquing. We're looking through this big warehouse, and we're walking through. And have you ever been antiquing? There's just tons of stuff around. Mm -hmm. And as I'm walking through, and I see a photograph of a main lighthouse or a painting of a main lighthouse, that triggers um, an emotional response. 
because I grew up on the coast of Maine. I love the coast of Maine. I had family that lived there. I still have a house property up on the coast of Maine. So I have an emotional response to that. And so that emotional response may make me want to purchase that item, or it may make me just want to look at it and think about, oh, that was you know, a great memory. I was to that lighthouse, or I wasn't to that lighthouse, or oh, I need to do. It gives me that thing. Now, on the other hand, my wife can walk by. She grew up in Evansville, Indiana. She can walk by and have absolutely no response to that same item. And so we, as human beings, have, based on our experience in our past, we have these triggers, those things that they can be environmental, they can be, they can be environmental, they can kind of be background, like I'm trying to think of the right word, but maybe psychological or spiritual, where we see these things that we know from our past experience gives us some kind of emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, so somebody being late to a meeting, that was a trigger for me. Um, that lighthouse was a trigger for me. So it's something that just because of its importance to us, it triggers our emotions. Now, the big challenge is when we start talking about other people's emotions, we don't know what their triggers are. And so we need to be aware of that, that we may be setting somebody's trigger off without realizing it. And having that conversation becomes like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that was a trigger for you. Probably not going to say it that way, but it wasn't that, (laughs) you know, I didn't realize I wasn't, didn't mean to do that to you. I'll refrain from doing that at all. You know, it's, it's, again, it's that interpretation of those words or the trigger. Yeah. Why? Well, well, does that make sense? Does that make it does. It does. I, I was think, I was actually kind of thinking what you're talking about because I, w- I was only thinking about our our personal triggers, so the things that we have. So I think as a role of a coach, right? The the role of the coach is to I- help you identify your triggers, so that when you are triggered, that you have the ability to. I don't know if change your response is the right word, but maybe adapt your response so that you don't overreact. So for example, your, your trigger was somebody showing up late to your meeting. Uh, right. So that for me, like if somebody shows up late, my trigger would be this person has uh, zero respect for me, my meeting or my client or whatever else is going on. And therefore I get that little, it's like, it's right here, right here in my chest, that resentment that starts building. And then like you said, you would talk to them differently. You would single them out or you would employ sarcasm or you'd start doing all these things that would essentially the goal is to what, make them feel dumb, uh, make like punish them, <laughs> punish them for being late. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's for whatever, I mean, it could be for whatever reason. Right. And, and it's just sort of you, in my case, I was angry because I didn't think I was being respected. Yeah. Right. And so that was, that's a trigger for me. Yeah. And I understand that. And so, I just was trying to be respected. I wasn't doing it in the right way, right? Because I was trying to be the bully because I'm like, well, if I'm the bully now and that I show that person in front of all these other people that I am in charge, then I'll be respected. Well, that absolutely didn't happen. You know, I, this is, you know, a true story. You know, it didn't happen, right? So everyone else in the room was looking at me like, you're a jerk <laughs> and why should we respect you? Yeah. Well, so you have to kind of take it to the next level and kind of think about through all that and go, okay, what's the right way? Yeah. And so that's that, so that's that self-analysis. That's that uh, uh, identifying what are my triggers? Because as a leader, the spotlight becomes brighter, right? So when they, Absolutely. when they see you in that role as a leader, having that triggered response, 
instead of it garnering, hey, I want to follow that guy, uh, it garners more of a resentment and this guy's a jerk. And so I think that as leaders, it's important to be aware of your own triggers and it you don't you don't just know them right off the bat. It, it takes time kind of going through it. Uh, and I think, again, that's where the role of a, a coach comes in. But when you do know them and you can adjust your response based on those triggers, I believe that that creates an opportunity for you to be a better uh, leader that people want to follow. Am I, am I saying that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. I'm working on a um, paper about expectations. And so I was help, trying to help make an easy analysis. What is expectations? And expectations are really three things. It's you know what the projected results are, what that person wants to accomplish. It's the responsibility that that person has or role. So if we're talking about an employee, it's their job description. But the expectations goes everywhere. And the last part, and it multiplies it, is the behavior of somebody. You know, and it's how they behave is really key to leadership. How we behave is going to be key to our leadership and what we want to do and what we want to accomplish because our behaviors impact everything we do to where we want to get to. And I think that kind of circles back to the importance of EQ is that because of the, and I'm I'm going to blame society and I don't know that that's the best way to do it, but I'm going to blame (laughs) technology and I'm going to blame society because of the environment that we're in now, we don't have the same opportunity to exercise our emotional intelligence as often as we should. So by the time we do get into a leadership role, you you find yourself uh, having conversations and maybe interacting with employees that maybe they blow up or there's just drama and there's all these things that are happening. And I think a lot of it has to do is a lot of that wasn't really able to be kind of flushed out because we're hiding behind screens and we're hiding behind computers and, and we're just not seeking out those personal relationships where we can kind of learn from our mistakes of, Hey, you know what? I was a jerk to this person. And over time uh, they either quit or they want you know, they didn't, they didn't help me. Like, let's say it's a sports team. If, if you're just always a jerk to somebody uh, they're they want the team to be successful, but when you're on the field, they're probably not going to help you. You're not going to throw you the ball. They're not going to depend on you. They're not going to call on you for stuff. And I think over time you kind of figure it out a little bit. Um, but I think what's happening is everything's kind of uh, accelerated to now people are thrust into a leadership role because maybe they were good at certain things and now you put them over people and they were maybe good one-on-one with, with a customer, but they may not be so great leading a team. And that's where all those cracks and those stress marks start to show because they weren't really able to exercise a lot of that uh, when they were younger. Now you can, you can tell me I'm wrong. I, I, you won't hurt my feelings, but that's my hypothesis for right now. Okay. Yeah. So let me like unpack some of that because I, there's a lot of good things in there. A couple of things that I think may be misleading. So number one, Technology is there, here to stay, right? And so we do rely on it for communication. We do rely on it for, it's a great tool. And so individuals that are growing up in today's society get to this tool much quicker. However, I, I do think your analogy about the sports team is key. You know, I was not in sports in high school or college. I just didn't do sports. Um, I worked in the theater. So I was doing theater and, you know, again, but I was with a group of people that we were working with that you had to deal with to be successful. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the sports team. I, when I was getting my master's degree, I had a friend who was the coach of a girls' college basketball team. 
And so we had this discussion. I'm like, I don't understand why sports is so important to the college experience. And she pretty much laid it out and said, I'm not teaching those kids how to win basketball. I am teaching them how to interact with each other. And I'm like, you're teaching them emotional intelligence. She goes, absolutely. I'm teaching yeah. them emotional <laughs> intelligence. And I'm like, okay, understand. Never, I will never question that again in my life. So that's the one thing is I think you need to have experiences with a group of people that you're not familiar with. Now you grow up with certain people in your life the whole time and you know their triggers, you know everything. I mean, how quick can we get one of our siblings to react because we know one of their triggers? Oh, absolutely. We may not call that emotional intelligence, but it all We call it button in. pushing. Yeah. You know right, how exactly. to push my buttons. Those yeah. are your triggers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you were talking a little bit about stress. And to me, stress is one of those things that takes our emotional intelligence level and shrinks it. Mm -hmm. Right? And so the situations we're in, I mean, the term hangry is just a great term. Because when we're stressed because we haven't eaten, all of a sudden, we become angry. Right, because that's what's happening to our inside ourselves because we're like stressed, and so then we become short when we're talking to people or having conversations because we were stressed. And so, stress is one of those things that we will have to learn as leaders when we're having stress what we need to do about it. And to me, simple, right? It's just the deep breath exercises and going, taking a step back and going, Okay, I'm stressed, you know, because I do a lot of presentations, I always start out when I'm talking about emotional intelligence. I tell people I'm feeling two things right now. I'm feeling very excited and very anxious. And for me to be aware of those things, there's that stress on me. And I always say, okay, since I'm, I'm feeling that way, can we just take some deep breaths here to help me relax? And it helps everyone in the room relax at the same time. And it just, it does it. There's science behind that deep, taking deep breaths will actually help you relax. And then you can make better decisions. I like to think of that stress as a accelerator to everything that's going on. So you may have normal emotional intelligence, but you add stress to it, that fuse becomes shorter because that stress comes in. Uh, and as you were say, saying that, I, I read something about stress and I want to get your thoughts on it. Um, stress is a lack of trust. And I think I think if I think through it, the reason you're stressed is because you may not trust yourself in that situation to communicate everything that, that you want to communicate, or you're stressed because there's a timeline and you don't think that your team or whoever else is going to uh, achieve the desired goal or whatever else. And so I'm still hypothesizing this, but I believe that stress is actually a lack of trust and that stress goes away when what? When you have confidence in your product and you have confidence in the, in the, the preparation, right? Proper preparation prevents poor performance, I think is what yeah. the seven P's are. Five yeah, or seven, I don't know. Yeah. But I think it also eliminates stress because you've you've done that preparation and you trust the things that you have going. So uh, I'm still working my way through that. But as you were talking about that, that idea popped into my head and yeah. I'd love for I, you I to kind of talk through that. I think that makes a lot of sense, right? Because when you have that, and again, it go goes to self-confidence. When you have that lack of self-confidence, mm -hmm. stress comes out because you're not sure. Um, and, it, and it depends on your, each people will approach it differently, right? So we talk a lot about in emotional intelligence, the comfort zone, right? And that's that place that you feel safe, you feel secure, 
you feel relaxed and you have the most confidence in your life, right? And so when we're always talking about that, we're like, that's great. And it's a great place to be and it's an important place to have. Unfortunately, success lies outside of it. I'm right? glad and you so, said that because I was going to take you to task on that. <laughs> yeah, success lies outside of that, right? So it's that. So how do we get there? And, you know, we approach the edge of our zone of comfort and all of a sudden that fear, that stress mm -hmm. comes up because we're not confident. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, especially new leaders, right? Because I think that's who we're talking to. You're a new leader. You're a first-time manager. And all of a sudden, you're now being asked to do stuff that you've never done before. And at the same time, manage the team. And, you know, there's going to be this stress in your life. And so that's going to push against your emotional intelligence because of all the things that are going on. And you need to be aware of how to deal with that and what to do to make that happen. And so I, I love the analogy of lack of trust, because if you think of it that way, like, oh, I'm stressed. What am I not trusting? You can really kind of help pinpoint, oh, you know, I'm not trusting that employee or I'm not trusting that I'm confident in my ability to lead a presentation or facilitate the meeting. And so then you can go, okay, what do I need to do to build up my confidence in that area? And then mm -hmm. that's where the coach comes in to go, oh, you know, let's talk about that and give you some examples and help you walk through that. And I think that helps. So it's a great analogy, I think, just to help kind of figure out what's going on. That's what I love about these conversations because it gets it gets my mind churning. It gets me thinking about all the different things that relate to everything. Yeah, yeah, it's all interconnected, and and they say that this emotional intelligence. Um, and so, get into more of the historical data of emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence was really defined by Daniel Goldman back in the nineteen seventies or eighties, and it had been around for a while, but he brought it into the workplace and said. I think this is important for people to be successful, for people to understand. And it comes down to, and everyone knows this, but we don't think a lot about it, is business leadership is all about relationships. Absolutely. Right? And so emotional intelligence is that connection of how we work around those relationships. And some relationships are easy. We know that person. We just feel comfortable with that person. We don't need to battle anything. And then when we work get thrown into a new environment, our emotional intelligence comes into play. Well, I don't really know what that person's thinking. I don't know what they're doing. How can I help understand that? And sometimes it's just sitting down having a conversation with them going, I'm not sure where you're coming from. Give me your experience. Yeah. I was thinking about, it was a top 500 company, I think is, is what it was. And, and so, you know, when you're talking about those relationships and talking about emotional intelligence, um, one of the things that usually comes up is like personality tests, right? You're kind of figuring out who the individual is, finding their their pressure points, finding their triggers, that kind of stuff. And but also knowing what people's strengths and weaknesses are. And I think that the companies that are more successful and the leaders that are more successful are the kinds of leaders that take those relationships that you talked about and identify through building that relationships what that person's strengths are and what their strengths are not so that they're always putting that person in a position to be successful as opposed to potentially giving them a task that not that they couldn't necessarily do it's that it's outside of their area of strengths and expertise so you're almost setting them up to potentially fail and so really taking all of the different things that we've talked about and meshing them all together to the extent of 
like I know that I'm this kind of personality type and these are my strength points and I want you to know who I am through my relationship with you so that you and I can work together in a more harmonious way and we can achieve more. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's, it's interesting, right? So if you have a leader that knows your strengths and then is working towards your strengths, that doesn't mean they can't put you in a position where they're going to push you and mm -hmm. say, well, I know that presenting, it's an easy thing to use. Presenting is not your, for your, one of your strengths, but I need you to present this. So we're going to need to present this next month. I know this isn't your strength. Let me give you the resources to get you there, right? Versus, mm -hmm. oh, by the way, tomorrow we have a presentation. I need you to do it. <laughs> um, knowing that that's your weakness and you're probably going to fail, right? I mean, so that's a bad boss. A good yeah. boss is going, I want you, you need to be successful because we all need to be successful presenting if we're going to be leaders. I know we have this presentation coming up in a month and a half. Let's work on it. Let's get it ready and let's practice it and let's do what we need to do so you're ready to lead that uh, and you feel comfortable with that, right? So again, that lack of trust, right? And, or that trust in yourself that, oh, I, now I know, I practice this, I'm ready. Of course, you're going to get nervous, but you, at least you know you're going to get through it. And that boss give, gave you that ability to do that. So I think that's key when you have a strong boss, they are helping you with your strengths, but they're also giving you the support you need and your opportunities to kind of improve those. Yeah. And so if we circle it around back to the audience, so the audience is hopefully they're in a situation where they have a boss like that, that they have somebody who's kind of helped guiding, helping to guide them in their, their growth as a leader. But I think a lot of times, um, some of these leaders may be in situations where they're, they're thrust into it. So, so for me, um, because I was successful at one thing, I worked my way up and found out that I was in charge of people all of a sudden. And it took for me a, a street education, I guess would be the best way to, to explain <laughs> it where I, where I had to learn, Hey, I, I probably said something really dumb there and I, I had to deal with it. I had to deal with, um, you know, people that were very emotional, that had a lot of triggers. Um, I think of the term walking on glass, right? Yeah. It, whenever you have a, a person that you're around and it's like, man, I just, I don't know what, what I don't know what not to say and what to say because I'm going to open up this giant can of worms if, if I'm not careful. And so uh, do you believe that like people that you're leading that, that have those, that kind of walk on glass uh, or around them, I guess that would be somebody with a low EQ, right? Is that somebody that uh, that really needs to yeah. help uh, develop themselves a little bit better? And how, how do you approach as, as a leader somebody that you kind of, you're kind of seeing that with, but without just basically saying, "Hey, you you, you suck as a person." <laughs> well, and they don't. Suck <laughs> as a person. It's just they approach life, or they have these triggers, annoyances, or whatever that you may be setting off. It may be your personality, right? And so we can't. You know, I, I say this as a coach and I say this as a manager, we can't change people. Right. Right. And so for people to change, they need to feel some kind of pain or suffering that they want to get rid of or they need to increase their awareness. Right. And so all you can do is give them awareness. And so somebody may not realize that they're having a reaction that's impacting other people. So part of it's just having a conversation to say, listen, these are the things that I've noticed. This is the feedback I'm getting from people around you. Do you feel like that's happening? And that 
from their perspective, I'm like, well, no, I never know that, right? I and mean, that's those people with low IQ just don't have that perspective of how their emotions are impacting other people. And so you have to sit down and go, look, this is, you know, here's a four instance. And the best thing you can do is kind of, I don't want to say catch them in the act, but when they have that reaction, you need to be like, okay, I can't react to that. Mm-hmm. Let me ask them some questions to kind of lead them to like, well, what's going on right now? You know, what, what's, what are you feeling right now? What, what's happening right now that you can get, that you're, you're feeling this annoyance and that kind of stuff, right? You can do that with customers. You can do it with clients. You can do it with employees. It's asking the right questions in a manner that they're like, oh, gosh, I didn't realize that I'm doing that. And most people will come back later and go, you know, I was a jerk or, you know, I, was, I wasn't doing that. If you can build that relationship. Yeah, I was listening to a uh, a talk about EQ kind of before we hopped on here, and uh, th- it kind of ties in a little bit to what you're talking about. and And it was a it was a guy who owned a company, and he said that kind of his motto was to be interested versus interesting. And his goal with that was really just to be aware, to listen, and to approach people and to to reach out to them to kind of see those kinds of things and ask those questions kind of like you phrase it, you know, what's going on with you? Like, why are you feeling this way and, and be interested in them. And I think that kind of tears down some of those walls to hopefully by asking those kinds of questions, you're not flipping triggers. You're, you're, you're creating a conversation to help build them emotionally in in their emotional intelligence. Yeah. And so, yeah, and I, it's really coaching, right? And so that's the one thing that I've been really working on lately is teaching people how to coach. Because when you start coaching, it changes the dynamic of your relationship, right? And as a manager, all you care about is process procedures, getting things done and making sure that whatever you're responsible is done right so you can get that to your team or you know whoever that needs to get to. And as a coach, you're taking a different thing when you're you're valuing the employee, right? And so we value employees by looking at their past experience and what their future aspirations are. And so when we're having those conversations and we find out what's important to them, we can then work and motivate them based on what's important to them. So for example, if I have an employee that wants to become a manager, and this happened to me, I had an employee that wanted to become a manager. Well, he wasn't manager material. Mm-hmm. And so he would kept being passed over for these roles. And I'm like, listen, I'll talk to you about this. Just come to my office. And he wouldn't do it. And finally, the pain slash suffering got to a place where he was annoyed enough that he finally came to me like, I want to be a manager. What's going on? And when he was now ready to listen to me, I asked point blankly, well, what do you think a manager does? And his thing was, you know, well, I do this, this, and this. And I'm like, yes, those are important things. But what a real manager does is manage the people to get them to the next level so they can be successful. And it had to change his perspective. So after having those conversations and knowing what he wanted to do, I could then talk to him when he's having a reaction or when he was doing something, when I saw some behavior, I could reinforce it like, that's great, that's exactly what a manager would do. Or I'd be like, ooh, now that's not gonna get you where you wanna go because this is what's happening, right? You're whatever, you're having a bad relationship with one of your coworkers. That's not going to make you manager material. Those things allowed him to see it in a different perspective. And then in the end, he was able to be promoted to manager because he changed his awareness, was able to handle things in a better way. 
That that's a great analogy. I'm I'm glad you brought up coaching because I mean obviously that's that's something that you do. So uh, let's let's talk about that a little bit. You you have this business where you actually will help other leaders uh, in, in their uh, working with their teams and 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 growing their business and, and whatever else. So kind of kind of give me a good understanding of like when is it when is it a point when a, a business or a, a management team or whatever else recognizes what, what are some of their triggers that they say, okay, we probably need to bring in a coach in here. What, what, what are some of the things that um, are, are, are the reasons that people come to you for, for the things that you do? Well, it happens a lot of different, a lot of different ways, right? Sometimes it's just uh, um, they have an employee that they think is a superstar but they're not dealing well with their coworkers. They're not dealing well with their employees, right? And so they want somebody to come in and kind of manage that process to get them better. Mm -hmm. Other times, it's a big organizational challenge, right? And so the employees and managers are kind of butting heads a lot. And they're not, they're just not, it's not a cohesive, great culture. And so mm -hmm. I can come in and teach the managers how to coach. And that allows them then to work with the employees to get them to a better level. And then the employees become more engaged and are more happy and ready to go there. Um, and it's hard. Like we sit down with somebody, you know, we have, we have this conversation all the time and I was having it yesterday. It was like, well, how does somebody know they need to be coached? And I'm like, it's hard because when I'm working, I love those clients that go, gosh, I need help. Right. But for us to sit back and go, gosh, I need to admit to myself that I need help, that's an ego, right? That's hard on the ego to say, I'm not as doing it as well as I can. And so we look for successful people because successful people know that they need help to improve and to get to a better place, right? And I always use the example of Peyton Manning, who was the NFL quarterback, mm -hmm. right? He was arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the league. When he retired, he had five coaches. He had the head coach, the offensive coordinator, the quarterback coach. He had a personal trainer, and then he had a personal coach. Think about that. How can you tell anybody, tell him anything about being a quarterback? But he understood that he needed that external feedback to improve. And so mm -hmm. we all need it. Everyone needs a coach. Everyone should have a coach. But it's hard to justify that in your mind to say, Oh, if I have a coach, right? And this is how people think of coaches. If I have a coach, that means I'm not doing something right. Versus, oh, I have a coach. I want to improve because I want to even do better. That's a different mindset. So. Absolutely. When I when I kind of first think about it, I think, well, I'm in this role. They've seen something in me and they've put me in this role to be a leader. And if I admit that I need a coach, then maybe I'm admitting that I'm not what they thought that I would be. Right. That's, that's the big challenge is especially first time managers or entrepreneurs or executives that have been promoted for their first time. All of a sudden they feel like they're struggling, but they end up going, I'm, I'm going to go alone. I can do this. I'm going to do it alone. And so then they try to go and reach out for things. And what's going to help them the most is just to have hire a coach to come in and sit down with them and go, okay, what are the things that you're challenged by? Where do you want to go? Define that, pick one, work on it for the next six months. My goal as a coach is to teach you how to get better. Mm -hmm. And if I can teach you how to get better, then I don't, you don't need me because you've learned the process. And the way, so I'm a stakeholder-centered coach. And the way we do that is by 
taking all the stakeholders around that individual and making them into mini coaches, mm -hmm. right? So that individual is going to ask them every month, what can I do better? You know, what did I do really well this month? What can I do better? And then they're going to take all that information and make a decision on what they're going to work on over the next month. And that's where I come in. We help and we kind of strategize what's the best thing. They communicate that out and then they work on that over the next month. And then they ask the same questions again. And all you have all these mini coaches helping you get better. And it just becomes this overall process. And then the goal is then to help everyone kind of get through that process to go, oh, if I ask other, you know, the easiest way to get better is to <laughs> ask somebody, what, yeah. what am I doing now? What, what, what did I do in the past that wasn't good? What am I doing now that's not good? What should I do in the future? Ask yeah. those three questions of anybody, you're going to get all these suggestions and you'll be able to do it, right? You'll be able to get better. Well, I think the importance of a coach coming in too is help you to filter through those suggestions too, because yeah, I, know well, a lot, I know a lot of times some of those suggestions probably aren't going to be so great. <laughs> yeah. but I, you know, we always say, I had a mentor once who said, feedback and suggestions are like a pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. If they don't fit, just throw them out, right? I mean, just get rid of them. And I think that's important because I think we do get a lot of suggestions from a lot of people. And if it doesn't feel right to you, you're not going to work on it. If somebody comes and says, um, you know, say you're, say you're trying to lose weight and somebody comes and says to you, well, you know what? I need you up. One of my suggestions would be get up at 5 a.m. and work out every morning. And if you're not a morning person and you start doing that, you're just going to resent it. Yeah. Whereas you say, well, you know, exercise at some point. Okay, well, I can do that. When can I exercise and put it into something that makes best sense for you? Then you can get there and get to the right place. The beauty of the podcast, and I know I've said this multiple times, is there's a lot to chew on here. There's a lot to unpack uh, in terms of content and everything else. And so I, I hope that this is one of those podcasts that you listen to multiple times because there's so many different things that we've talked about from emotional intelligence to coaching to just how to, how to have a conversation with a person when when they're potentially have lower emotional intelligence or you're just trying to help them uh, be more respectful of time. Uh, there's so much here. And so um, I, I appreciate, John, you taking the time to, to kind of sit down here uh, and share uh, some of the some of the nuggets of information that, that you've learned over time and some of the coaching that you've done. What are the best ways for, for my audience to connect with you? How, if they're interested in some of the things that you provide or some of the uh, resources that you, you've created, how do they find you? How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, so there's two ways. They can email me at uh, john at johntallheimer.com uh, or they can go to my website, johntallheimer.com because it's confusing. I will spell my last name. <laughs> yeah, please do. Uh, so my website is www.john, J-O-H-N, Tallheimer, which is spelled T-H-A-L-H-E-I-M-E-R.com. Um, and so they can go on there. I do have resources on there. And then they, there's ways to connect with me on there. You can actually uh, schedule an appointment with me if you need to, you know, like a 30-minute complimentary call just to kind of say, hey, this is a challenge I'm having. I love hearing that. Um, I'm on Facebook as well. Um, it's John Tallheimer, The Leadership Guide. I think it's at The Leadership Guide on Facebook. Um, and that's a great way to get a hold of me and just ask me questions. Um, connect there and just ask questions because I love at answering people's questions because I think it not only helps you, but it helps all the other people around you. And I think kind of like this podcast, Evan, I think, you know, it's helpful if you answer one, I, we answer one person's question, we can get a lot of people are having that same question. 
one thing I want to do to kind of end and kind of wrap this up is, is I want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about the differentiation between emotional intelligence and personality. I think that uh, when you when you have emotional intelligence, there's a lot of different things that you can do and change and, and realize your triggers and whatever else. But um, as I've been kind of doing a little bit of research about emotional intelligence, the role of your personality comes into play and interconnects with this as well. So can you uh, kind of, as we close this out, differentiate personality from emotional intelligence? Yeah, so you're just going to throw out the hard question right at the end. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I hadn't got to yet. And I was like, oh, man, I want to make sure we talk about this. <laughs> No, so I think it is important, right? So we have personality traits that I don't want to say are cemented, but you know, we have them since an early age. I heard somebody say the other day, it's like the, the way we are at three years old is the way we're going to be at 26 year olds. I don't know if I go completely for that, but I do think there are certain things that based on our experience, based on our genetics, based on our heritage that we have, and we bring that to the table. And part of emotional intelligence is being aware of that. And bring, knowing that we bring certain things to a table, and I think, again, it's that awareness, you know, and I always say that awareness gives us choices. And so mm -hmm. the more aware we can be, the better our choices are going to be. So we need to know what our personal traits are. You know, we need to know, um, in my family, we all have this drive. We just want to keep going and do things. And it, it can be very annoying for other people when we're on vacation, because we're like, well, we want to go do something. And they're all like, no, we just want to relax. And we're like, well, that is relaxing to us. Let's go climb a mountain or let's go do something. And so that's a, we need to know that, right? We need to be aware of those things. So when we're trying to um, work with other people, when we understand our personality traits and our things, we can then bring that to the fore table and we can say, this is our strength. And I, I worked with a group of individuals. And one of the things I liked about this group was just, they were so good about like, nah, that's not my strong suit or I'm good at that, but I'm not good at this, right? And so when, we, when you have those conversations and you're open and honest about it, you can start building this team of great people because you offset each other's strengths and weaknesses and you get to that point where you're like, ah, oh, now we're all firing on all cylinders because maybe you're not that organized or I had a co-manager who just didn't like conflict. Right. So I didn't mind conflict. So if there was a situation that we needed to be assertive, it would go to me. But on the other hand, mm -hmm. she was smart about bringing people together and getting people to work together. So that became her from her tool belt. So we worked together to get things done. And I think we need to know what we're strong at, what our personality strengths are so we can get there. And again, it ties into emotional intelligence and just in that awareness piece. Awesome. Well, John, thank you for taking the time to speak to our audience, to speak to the next generation of leaders and listeners. We'll catch you on the next podcast. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the young businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen 
find and pursue their purpose.